and you would find two places with me this evening, uh, Matthew the 26th chapter and John chapter 12. Uh, we're going through the book of Matthew verse by verse, and tonight I want to talk to you about a simple truth, are you the real deal? You see, we are able to ask questions about whether or not something is real in every area of our life. If you go to a rummage sale and someone has a purse that has a name brand on it, you've probably watched a lady said, is that real or is that a knockoff? Is that a fake or is that the real thing? You've probably even went and been rummage sailing maybe and saw something that was autographed. And if you stood there long enough, someone probably said, is that the real authenticated autograph or did somebody write that on there? to add value. You've probably watched television shows that are all about people bringing things into pawn shops and uh, they always bring in an expert and says, yes, this is the real thing and it's worth a lot of money and that's wonderful that your grandma kept it in a, in a covered dish, right, all those years when you wanted to throw it away and then someone else will come in and they've bought something, right? They've paid a fortune for it, and they're like, I want you to tell me how much this is worth, and I, I just know it's worth so much money. And then they bring in the expert, and the expert's like, it's worthless. You spend all that money for nothing. But yet, when we talk about the Christian faith, when we talk about the church, we're not allowed to have that discussion. right? We can't talk to people about, are you really saved? Or are you just going through the motions? Do you really know the Lord or are you just filling a seat? Do you really know the Lord or is there some other reason you're here? You say, Jake, I don't like where this is going tonight. Well, you won't if you're lost. But if you know Him, this shouldn't be a problem because each and every one of us know Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. Know Him. And we know that even though our faith might sometimes waver, and even though we so might struggle, and even though we might have questions, that when we lay our head on the pillow at night, we know that He loves us. I don't know why He loves us. I don't know why He would die for us. But I am His. In Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, one of the most special chapters, if you want to read about how God views His people, you see, most of us view God like we do our Sam's membership. We want to use it when we need something, and we want it to save us from paying too much. And so really, as long as we have it and we need something, we know that's the answer. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is speaking to the Jewish people, and He's talking about how much He loves them, and how much He cares about them, and what He's going to do for them, and the warnings He gives to them as a loving father gives to a child. But in verse 9, it says these words, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And so for us who love Him as a New Testament Christian, know that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I am His, His promises, His covenants, His love for me is not going to waver. It's not going to falter. I can know Him and know what He thinks about me. 
It gives me great hope on days when I think, I don't know how anybody could love me, let alone a perfect, holy, righteous God. I can't imagine anybody would die for me, yet the one who knew no sin died for me. And so we can read these verses, and while we devalue God and we treat Him like He doesn't matter, it's a beautiful picture of what He really means and what He really thinks toward us. You can kind of think of it like as wedding vows. Now, you know I don't do very many weddings. I don't like doing any weddings, and uh, just that's just how it is, right? You get a whole bunch of emotional people together, and you got some men that are just trying not to get murdered, all right? And uh, so it's like, oh, this is so much fun for no one. But uh, but it's a special thing, and it's a sacred thing, and, and, and I'm glad that some of you love them. And, um, and I think you should do, uh, get married if you're not married. If you're already married, stay married. But um, I say all of that because... When, when you repeat after the preacher, a lot of times it's for better or worse, sickness and health. And, and for a long time, I had done so few weddings that I literally said in sickness and in death. And they're like, that's not the wording of the funeral, of the wedding. And someone after like the third wedding in a row, they're like, you have got to change it. It's not sickness and in death. There's no reason to make a promise for death. And I was like, oh, sickness and it, that makes more sense. But yet no one had said anything. But when we, when you see someone that actually writes their wedding vows, now I'm not saying I, you should do that or not do that because that would be miserable for me, but they write all of these things about how they love them and what they love about them and what they care about them, and you're just like, wow, that guy is really starting out his marriage right, all right? He is a leg up over the rest of us. And you listen to those, how they're written and what they mean to each other, and it's just a beautiful picture. Well, that's what God does here in Deuteronomy 7. He writes to them. He says, you're not the biggest nation. (laughs) You're not the most numerous of people, but yet I love you. And I'm going to have a relationship with you. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you homes that you did not build. I'm going to give you vineyards that you did not plant. I'm going to destroy enemies that you cannot destroy. But he then stops in verse 10 and begins to say, and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. So he says you can have love and you can have mercy and you can have grace and you can have forgiveness. You can have all these wonderful promises. Or you can choose to hate God. You can choose to rebel against God. You say, Jake, I don't hate God, I just don't listen to Him. I don't pay attention to Him. I don't care what He thinks. That's the same thing. And we can make excuses for people. We can try to make them sound better at their funerals. But look up here. You either love God or you hate Him. You either are a believer or you are an unbeliever. You are either a follower or you are not. And so when we see this, we see that God doesn't pull any punches. He says, you're either mine and you're going to receive the blessings or you're going to refuse me and I will show you face to face what it means to oppose a holy and perfect God. And tonight I want to challenge you with that. Tonight salvation, forgiveness, mercy, grace can be yours. But I hope that you can never leave this place after hearing me preach and say, you know what? I think I'll just stay on the fence and be fine. 
Because, friends, you can either have it or you won't. You can either enjoy it or you won't. And when we come into the book of Matthew, chapter 26, we see two different people. We see someone who is a follower and we see someone who is a fake. And starting in verse 6, if you're taking notes tonight, what it looks like to love and follow Jesus. What it looks like to love and follow Jesus. Starting in verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, He said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to me. And so tonight, as we get ready to pray, I hope that you fit into that category. But tonight, I love you too much for you to leave here without you knowing whether you have to be in this category or the other. Pray with me. Father, I ask for your forgiveness tonight. God, I am unable, I am inadequate to do this task that you have before me. God, I have nothing in me that can contribute, that can impress, that can change hearts and lives, but God, you can. And so tonight I pray that the power of your Spirit would be at work in this place. The Word that is preached, God, would honor you, that would point people to you, that God, that you would use it to change and to work and to move and to make us into the church that you want this to be. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we read this passage of Scripture and we kind of are very vague in what we find out here. But if you turn over to John chapter 12 and John chapter 11, I don't have them on the screen tonight. And so I, I'm just going to trust that you brought your Bibles like I tell you to bring your Bibles. And I'm going to start doing this from time to time to remind you to bring your Bibles. And you say, why does it matter? Because you ought to carry your Bibles when you come to church. That's just my pet peeve. You can disagree with me and be wrong all that you want. And in John chapter 12, we see the specifics of this story. And we find out it's not just some random lady, it's Mary. And you're familiar with Mary. Everybody's getting their Bible and going, I can't believe this. I brought it, but haven't had to open it in so long. But uh, Mary and Martha, two women that are very familiar in the Word of God. And we find out that it is Mary who has poured this oil over Jesus. And tonight I want to show you this because most of us forget what has been going on in Mary's life. If you go back to chapter 11, starting in verse 1, the Bible literally says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped His feet with her hair. And so he starts chapter 11 telling the readers what they've already know of what happened. And I want you to think about this for a second because if you read chapter 11, Lazarus, who is a brother to Mary and Martha, dies. And you're probably familiar with the passage of Scripture that said, Lord, if you had been here, 
he would not have died. But if you remember from that passage of Scripture, and you can read that uh, on your own time, and for the sake of time we won't read it all, but someone sends a message to Mary that Jesus is coming. And starting in, I believe it is verse... I'm not sure exactly which verse it is, but you can read it a little bit of studying. When Mary approaches Jesus, verse 32, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You see, in chapter 11, Mary is falling at the feet of Jesus, and she is weeping. And you can imagine, I cannot comprehend this, and I'm trying in the best of my mind, as she is hanging onto the feet of Jesus. And she is weeping uncontrollably about the fact that her brother is dead. And I can imagine that her hair is probably a mess. It's probably all over his feet. And she is begging him, Lord, why were you not here? Lord, why were you not involved? And as the tears are falling on Jesus' feet, I cannot imagine this as she is begging him to intervene. And we forget that in this chapter, she is hanging on to his feet, begging for a miracle. And in chapter 12, what has happened is, Lazarus came back from the dead. And this very same Mary who has experienced God's power and God's presence in her life doesn't just come strolling up for no reason. She comes strolling up with the thing that is most valuable to her in the world and says, I'm going to break this open. I'm going to pour it on the same feet. I'm going to pour it on the same person who my tears shed and fell on. And I'm going to wipe your feet with my hair because why? Jesus came to town and everything changed. Everything changed for her. She didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to break this box. I'm going to use this oil. No, she was worshiping the God with all that she had because of the miracle that He had done in her life. And if you want to know what it looks like to really love Jesus, this is it. You say, well, Jake, I don't understand what you mean. I've never lost a sibling. No, but you had something happen in your life where a dead person was forever changed. And that dead person was you. The Bible says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But He made us alive. And friends, all of us can be in that moment where we're weeping. Right? I need God. I need a miracle in my marriage. I need a miracle for my children. God, I need a miracle in my finances. God, I need a miracle in my life because I am a mess. Things are a mess. I am hurting. I'm broken. But yet when the miracle happens and God changes everything, are you willing to say, Lord, here I am. Whatever I've got is yours. Because that's the real problem in the church today. Oh, we want the weeping at His feet. And we want the moment when He brings back our sibling to life. But after that, what do you do with it? What do you do with the salvation that Jesus gave you? What do you do with the blessing that He's given you? What do you do with the things that God has done in your life that are meant to bring Him glory? Well, I can tell you, we waste it. 
If God was to ask us, I want you to break that alabaster thing full of oil. I want you to give that today. We'd say, oh no. I'm just going to get real specific tonight and if you get upset, you can always fire me. It's not a problem. What if God told you to sell your most valuable possession and give it to missions? Well, I'm not selling my camper. I'm not selling my boat. I'm not selling my side by side. I'm not selling my house. I'm not breaking into my retirement account. I ain't touching none of that. That's mine. I earned it. I worked for it. I paid for it. It's mine. Do you remember when you were weeping? Do you remember when you were broken? Do you remember when Jesus came to your life and changed everything? Saved your soul? That didn't offend everybody, so we'll just wait into something else. How about your time? Oh, well, God gets what's left over. I'm a busy person. I work, I got family, I got kids, I got commitments, and, and God gets what's left over. You remember what that was like to be at an altar somewhere or at your home? I don't know where you were saved at. And the conviction power of sin came into your life. And you repented of your sins and trust in Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And you said, Lord, I'm yours for all eternity. I'm going to leave this world flying, not dying. I know where I'm going to a place prepared by Him for me. God, I'm yours. There's nothing I could love more than you. There's no one could do anything more for me than you've done for me. But I would challenge you to look at your life. What has come in front of Jesus? What has come in front of His church? What has come in front of you serving Him? You see, I want you to see that Mary is not just some woman in this passage of Scripture. It's not just some accident. She is showing us what it means to really love and follow Jesus. And that's, God, everything I have is yours. God, everything you have given me is yours. It was yours to begin with, and it will be yours when I'm gone. And for the time I am here, God, I'm going to give everything I have to you. Because you're worth it. There is nothing in my life that can come up that says I am more important than Jesus. Because no one has done anything more important for me than Him. And so what we begin to see is, well, I'm not sure I want to follow Jesus like Mary. I don't think I'm willing to say, Lord, whatever I have is yours. I've got a lot of stuff. Well, I'm glad that you asked that because I want to show you a passage of Scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jericho to Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he approached, 
arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. If you know anything, the Samaritans and Jews hated each other. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You see, we as churches have gotten so scared of running people off We've got so scared that giving might go down. We've got so scared that our Sunday school attendance might not look good that we have tried to convince lost people that as long as they hang out around here, as long as they give enough money, as long as they serve somewhere, then they are going to heaven, that they have a relationship with God. And somebody has to stand up and say, you must be born again. You must have an encounter with a living God that changes you, that transforms you, that makes you something that you're not, but something that you can be, and it changes everything about you. And someone loving Jesus and following Jesus and serving Jesus shouldn't be the exception to the rule. It should be the norm among God's people. Loving Him, following Him, serving Him. You say, boy, I knew I wasn't going to like this you're not going to like the second part even more. (laughs) Because that's what it looks like to really follow Jesus, know Jesus. You say, well, Jake, I've been to enough funerals, and I've heard enough preachers preach people into heaven. Look up here. Most preachers are charlatans. I'm just telling you the truth. Spirit-filled, God-honoring preaching of the Word is almost gone. And friends, tonight I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that hell is going to be full of Baptist church members and Baptist deacons and Baptist preachers. Why? Because Baptist doesn't get you to heaven. Church attendance doesn't get you to heaven. Church membership doesn't get you to heaven. But a relationship with Him, and He wants a relationship with you. I do not believe that before you were born, God looked down at you and said, you're going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. No, I believe that we serve a loving God who is not willing that any should perish, that draws, that works, that brings people into our lives, that brings churches into our path, that we can hear the truth and we can know that God loves us and know that God cares about us and know that God dies for us and we can have a relationship with Him that will forever change us. But make no mistake, at some point that offer stops. And the day of judgment, when I take my last breath from this earth, that offer stops. And so tonight, I don't want to talk to you just about what it looks like to be lost. I want to talk to you about what it looks like to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, I don't ever remember seeing a wolf wear clothing. So I actually had to study the Scripture, you know, and remind myself, Jake, you're not just quoting a saying, but you're quoting the Scriptures. And it is. Matthew chapter 7. But tonight I want you to see this, that a wolf in sheep clothing appears like a sheep. Looks like a sheep. 
walks like a sheep. People think it's a sheep. Then one of the twelve, starting in verse 14, because it follows right up with what it looks like to love Jesus and what it looks like not to. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. If you've ever read the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 21, 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. They sold him for the price of a common slave. Now I want you to see that the significance of these being together is not an accident. You see a lady who had one thing to give to Jesus and she gave it all. And you see one man who had been with Jesus had been trusted by the disciples, who carried the money pouch, who would have been convinced by everybody that this is the who's who of religious circles. And we see Him reveal that He never truly was saved. And friends, tonight my only desire is not to offend you, it's not to make you angry, it's not to hurt you, but it is for on the day of judgment you not to stand before a holy God and here, depart from me, I never knew you. You say, but I suffered through 11 years of Sunday night sermons from Jake. I've suffered through 11 years of Wednesday night Bible study. How much more misery can you experience on earth? Not enough. You must have a relationship with Him. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized seven times. And every denomination that there is, it's not enough. You say, Jake, I, I go to one of them fundamentalist churches where my dress is so long and my hair is so long and I, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't go here and I don't watch this. None of that matters. Judas looked it. He talked it. He walked it. He was there when the thousands were fed. He was there when the demons were driven out. He was there when the blind got their sight. He was there for all of it. And yet, when it really came down to it, he hated Jesus. He hated Him. And in John chapter 12, we see this passage of Scripture, the plot to kill Jesus. And in chapter 12, I want to read that to you in verse 9, because they didn't want to just kill Jesus. They wanted to kill anything that Jesus had done that brought God glory. In verse 9 it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that He was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they also might see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Friends, you don't have to be Jesus to change someone's life. You just have to be someone who Jesus has really made alive. <laughs> that was really good, even though you did. That was really good. I'm telling you, Bob, that was good stuff. I know you can't hear me and I can't hear you, but that was good stuff. You don't have to be Jesus to change someone's life, and that's a good thing because there's only one. But what we see is one dead man who was brought back to life 
God was using it to change other people's lives so much that the chief priest and the Jews said, He's got to go. I want to ask you one simple question. Is there anything that Satan would want to take you out of because you're making a difference for someone for the glory of God? Where you work, are you that one person that was dead and who's been made alive that has changed the people you work with? Are you the parent in your home? Are you the husband, the father, that when your children look at you, they say, he might not be Jesus, but boy, he's been touched by him. He's been changed by him. That ain't the same dad I used to have. That ain't the same mom I used to have. That ain't the same co-worker I used to have. He is something has happened to them and they are no longer the same. I might not want it. It doesn't say that everybody believed. But it says some did. It says many did. And I believe this, and you can take it for what it's worth. I believe the reason that churches are not seeing people saved is because the people that represent Jesus still look dead. I believe where you go to work and where you go home and who you come into contact with, those are the people that are going to come to know Jesus. Not the people that you drag here. Because most of the people that are here think they're saved already. They're either saved or Satan has blinded their eyes. But that co-worker that you forgive that almost got you fired and didn't mean to, that's the person you can share the gospel with. That, that person that you're coaching their team and they have no money as a family, they can't even buy their kids' shoes to play on the basketball team, but you bought their kids a pair of shoes. It might have even been at Goodwill, but they don't know it to them. It's the best thing they've ever got. And that mother comes to you who's a single mom working two jobs. I don't understand why you'd buy these for me. Because I love you. Because Jesus loves me. You see, those are the people that God wants us to reach. God doesn't want us to go around from church to church and steal a whole bunch of people who think they're saved and aren't. God doesn't want that. God wants us to reach into your life and into my life and people can see that something has happened to me, that I've been made alive, that I've been changed, that everything about me is not the same and whatever has happened to me, that's what they need. You see, Lazarus was dead. I mean like D-E-A dead. I don't mean like dead in Baptist circles. I mean he was in the grave. He was in the tomb. These people knew that he had been wrapped that he had been put away, that he had, you know, they were planning on this is it. And here he is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You read that passage of Scripture in John chapter 12. I'm fired up tonight. I don't know, I preached four times today already, but you're getting the best one. You said, man, I wonder what the nursing home was like. It was just this good. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't the nursing home. I was somewhere though. Can't remember now. But Martha was working. And Lazarus was sitting there taking it all in. Lazarus wasn't even doing anything. Look what it says there. Lazarus was the one who sat at the table with him. Lazarus wasn't being a super Christian. Lazarus wasn't waiting on tables. You would think Lazarus would be the one that was breaking open this anointing oil. He's the one that was dead and been made alive. He's just sitting there. And everybody's like, I'm married, I get it. He's just sitting there. Everybody's waiting on him. Listen to his story. Well, I was dead. I can't do nothing. I can't take the trash out. I was dead. Literally dead. 
can't vacuum. I was dead. I, you know, I need to rest. But yet it was changing lives. Because friends, I want you to know something. The power of God is so rare that friends, when God really is at work, I promise you it will change people's lives. All of us know that. All of us know someone that we've came into contact with that really loved Jesus, that really cared about the things of God. They might not have even been Baptists. Most likely they probably weren't. If you saw them out in public and they were living for Jesus, they were probably Pentecost. Just throwing that out there. And friends, I'm telling you, when you really meet someone that loves God and loves you and you know it, there's some of you, I ain't asking you to pray for me. I don't mean that to be mean tonight. But there's some of you, and I am. Because I know your relationship with the Lord. I know what you are doing in your private time. I see how God is at work in you. You say, well, Jake's never asked me to pray for me. That's not why, all right? Don't get offensive tonight. It's like I didn't shake your hand. I didn't mean to. But I'm here to tell you tonight that if God's power is really in your life, people are going to notice. There's going to be something about you that they can't explain, that they can't put their finger on it. And friends, there will be many that hate it. And most of the time, they'll be a member of a church somewhere because they'll say, that should be me. That should be my walk. That should be my talk. That should be me. And that bothers me that it's not. And the great thing is we could all repent and return. But if we're honest, I just hate a fanatic. That'll wear off. I can't, I'll never forget when I took my Bible to Walgreens for the first time after I rededicated my life to the Lord. I put that down on my table to eat and the guy sitting across from me went, that'll wear off. I was like, my deodorant's bad already? I mean, I just sit down. And friends, if you're honest, it does. You'll go through seasons where it'll wear off. You won't be passionate like you were. You won't be fired up like you were. You won't be seeking Him like you were. But friends, tonight the message is this. You can come back. God can light the fire that is in you. I'm out of time, but I want to finish with this. Matthew chapter 7 tells us to beware. He's talking to you, the church, the people of God. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. On Wednesday night, if you weren't here, I have been preaching on the qualifications for pastors and deacons and what it means to be a leader in God's church. And these are applicable tonight as well. Because friends, not everyone who wears a suit and a tie, see I didn't wear my tie tonight, I didn't want to be lumped in with them, is of God. Not everyone who teaches Sunday school is of God. Not everyone who struts in here and makes the decision is of God.
and you need to be on guard. You say, oh, Jake, we've been on the straight and narrow for a long time now. It only takes one person. And I'm telling you, wolves in sheep clothing know what they're doing. They know how to butter you up. That's the thing about sheep. They follow other sheep. And that's the goal of a false teacher. That's the goal of a wolf in sheep's clothing is to get you off track. Friends, if you've ever rode anywhere, you know one bad turn can put you off track. That's the wonderful thing about GPS. It says, hey, stupid, turn around. Gary Brzezinski and I were going down to Paducah one day to see Dennis and Ann Johnson when Ann's dad was in the hospital. And we were talking. I don't know how we were. We were talking about something, something spiritual, I know it was, about the Lord, miracles, probably not. But we were talking, and uh, you get south of Mary. I was driving. It was my fault, my fault. I got south of Marion, and I don't know what the two interstates are. What are they? Someone. Well, we didn't take the split. We just kept on driving. We just kept on talking. And I guess I had the GPS on, or maybe I didn't. I don't think I did. We get about to, is it Tams? Thieves? I don't know where we're at. He goes, it don't look right. I'm like, that looks good to me. I'm just driving along. I'm just listening to all this wisdom he's just imparting to me, right? So we get off and go through Cairo and get there and we get there. Dennis is like, you guys are a little bit late. What happened? Gary's like, don't tell nobody. I'm like, well, I got us lost. You know, took us the wrong track. GPS wasn't there to warn us. And friends, in our walk with God, that's why church is so important. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why scripture reading is so important. Because it's God's warning to us. You're headed the wrong direction. You're growing cold in your walk with me. You've let things come in that have pushed you the wrong direction. Because in verse 21 it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, you can be used by God and not be of God. Because God wants to reach people even if He has to use broken vessels. But that doesn't excuse for you to stay broken. You see, friends, I can preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and die and go to hell. And friends, you can sit and sit and sit and die and go to hell. Why? Because what you do for Him is not what saves you. It's who you are in Him. And tonight you might be saying, Jake, this has been pretty rough. Friends, tonight I want you to know that we serve a wonderful God who loves us in spite of us, who sent His only begotten Son to die in my place. And even though I didn't deserve it and I couldn't earn it, he made a way. And so tonight, please don't think that I'm here trying to be mean to you. My heart's desire is for you to leave here knowing I'm His. I am saved and I know it. And if you're here and you can't say that, tonight you can. The Bible says, repent of your sin and call upon His name. You shall be saved. You say, well, Jake, what if I, what if, don't worry about what comes next. You just be like Mary. Here I am, Lord. 
here I am. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that I have preached it with boldness, but Lord, with also a grace and truth and mercy. Father, tonight I pray that you have spoken through me to encourage your people, to encourage those who are saved. Lord, that you would convict those who are lost. God, that you would rejuvenate those who have grown cold. And God, that you would just light a fire in us to be a witness for you, to change lives. God, to see many people saved. And Lord, to really see a movement from you that will change our community, change our homes, and that the only credit that can be given is look what God has done. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.